Welcome to the Voice Equals Power podcast, where we explore the big question, how does an artist find their voice? I'm your host, Nicholas Prolak. If you like what you hear today, you can keep up to date with my travels through Sonic Space at my website, nicholascrolak.com or on Instagram at Nicholas underscore Crowley. My guest today is Lydia Liebman, founder and CEO of Lydia Liebman Promotions, a boutique public relations agency and consulting firm based in New York City and London. Their roster of artists is mind-blowing, from Oren Evans, Emma Frank, Ben Wolf, Brandy Younger, the Curtis Brothers, Roxy Koss, Ralph Peterson, the list seems endless, so I'll leave it there. In our interview, We talk about how she got involved in the business side of jazz, how she grew her company from helping out some friends to representing some of the biggest names in jazz, what young musicians who are just starting out can do proactively before they are ready for representation, and much more. Lydia is both a guardian of the tradition and a trailblazer of new directions, with a perspective that is definitely worth checking out. Lydia Liebman, thanks for hanging out with me. Um, yeah. And your dog Coco is hey, here. Coco. We're hanging out in, in, a, in a park in the Upper West Side. Upper, upper, east, si- upper east Side. East Side. I'm all turned around. Sorry, I'm not, not in New York all that often, as much as I'd like to these days. But <laughs> uh, again, thanks for taking the time. And I'd like to start out a bit with what got you interested in jazz so my interest in jazz was pretty much ingrained from the moment I was born literally Um, like when I was born apparently I mean I don't remember this but apparently my dad was playing Crescent John Coltrane's Crescent (laughs) like on a flute yeah (laughs) like you know when you start that way I mean there's like nowhere else for you to go with your life pretty much but um but seriously, though, I, um, you know, I grew up in a very musical household, so I was exposed to jazz from uh, from the, from the jump, really. And I didn't love jazz at first. You know, I was kind of trying to rebel against my parents' vibe, mm-hmm. and my um, my interests, my musical interests, were pretty varied you know I was interested in I mean I went through phases a lot of phases but you know I went through like a hip-hop phase I went through like a classic rock phase I you know hit all those checked all those boxes and then eventually when I was a teenager 
uh, like late in my high school life, I kind of came around to to jazz, and I was like, oh, this is actually kind of kind of okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think the first um, the first record I kind of like willingly like really checked out on my own was um, if it wasn't it, it was either like a Coltrane. It, well, it definitely was like a Coltrane box set, you know, which had just everything. But the one that I really identified with early was Bill Evans live at Montreux, and that was like. With Jack, you know, when I heard that, I was like yeah. sold. Yeah, love Bill Evans. You won't believe this, but that 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 is my first. No way! Jack record. Yeah. See, go figure. It, it, that's it was, crazy. That's it. Like blew my mind. Like I okay. was just totally, you know, taken. And and so that's really what started my like genuine love of jazz. And uh, from then on, it was just that was the, that was the deal. That's crazy. <laughs> I've never met anyone that that was their first Bill record. Bill Evans is the man. I mean, I love yeah. Bill Evans. He's like my all-time favorite yeah. next to Train. That was my... Um, I was hit with Eddie Gomez on that record. Yeah, there you go. And despite not ever having played upright bass and not really ever playing electric Like, I played electric bass a little bit. Yeah. But I was just like, I want to do that. Which totally. is such a crazy... Uh, naive... <laughs> crazily naive goal to just be like, I want to... Yeah, I could do that. Well, I yeah. mean, you know, my, my, my dad always tells the story of when he saw John Coltrane play, you know, at, I think it was Birdland when he was a teenager, and he saw, like, how fast his fingers were moving, and he was like, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he always says that he was playing soprano, or um, not even soprano, but he was playing saxophone in, like, you know, wedding bands or GB bands when he was younger, and then when he saw Train play, it was like, whoa, I can't believe that's the same instrument. That's mm-hmm. crazy. I want to do that. So you're right on track. You yeah. know, it's the same thing. and. Uh, for me, it wasn't so much um, a musical thing. I mean, I sang. I used to sing often, uh, sang like theater and jazz, and you know, tried all that stuff. But that it wasn't though. Like I was listening to jazz vocalists and being like, you know, I I want to be that. You know, I was like, this is amazing. But you know, eventually, I kind of found my way in the business side of things behind the scenes, and I found that that was like really where I excelled. But that was where the you know the jazz bug came. It was that that, um, yeah. that LP. You know. Yeah. So uh, can you describe a little bit how you got interested in the business side of things? Yeah. So when I was in college, I went to Emerson College in Boston, and I was a student at Berkeley at the same time. I did this sort of it was called the Pro Arts Consortium. It was this program where you could kind of take some of your extra classes from some of the many art schools in Boston. I just abused this program to the max and took like half my course load at Berkeley. I was there, you know, at Berkeley more than I was at even at Emerson for the first two years. And uh, I was like one of the first to really just exploit this. I, th- I don't even know if anyone after me, they allowed them to do that because I just was took advantage of it mm-hmm. massively. So I, uh, I was really involved at Berkeley. You know, I had a lot of friends that were musicians. I was really in that scene and at Emerson I started with a jazz radio program it's called Reads and Deeds 2 my dad had <laughs> Reads and Deeds 1 at NYU when he was a student and they asked me for a title on the spot and I had no idea so I was like Reads and Deeds 2 <laughs> they rush on Roland Kirk out I was like whoa so I uh, had this radio program and through that I met a lot of people met a lot of musicians and I did a lot of you know accidental networking that way Um, but I loved radio 
I also loved learning a little bit about what goes into promoting a CD. Like I would get press kits in the mail. I would get, you know, promos from, you know, people that are now my colleagues, which is so hilarious. And I kind of just saw like what went into that. Um, so that, you know, kind of like sparked my interest. And then when I was at Berkeley, I had met a lot of musicians who were having shows. They were like doing, you know, their stuff and nobody was there. They had no audience. They had nobody coming to anything. And mm -hmm. I was like, why not? Um, yeah. Did you promote this? And they're like, well, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and this was, you know, like Facebook uh, was obviously a thing, but it wasn't, there was still like a need at the time for like, flyers and posters like it wasn't all driven online like there were people still designing like you know I designed so many posters and so many flyers and would actually go door to door and put them up in Boston um, I don't know about if now you know that would even be relevant at all but at the time it was so I was like well <laughs> I can make you a poster no idea what I was doing like learned Photoshop in like you know a couple days did a terrible poster for like the show at Harvard so bad uh, <laughs> but like my musician friends were like, Hey, I want one of those terrible posters too. <laughs> and that's kind of what happened. Yeah. I just started doing it for friends and, um, that was what kind of got it started. And then, uh, Berkeley Global Jazz Institute with Daniela Perez actually like hired me to do some promotional work for them. And, um, that was what kind of started it. Mm -hmm. You know, I was interested in it. Basically I came around like from radio and, uh, that was what kind of sparked it. Uh, you mentioned how you're talking to musicians who came to you yeah. expressing not knowing how to promote themselves, which is a big reason why I wanted to talk to you today sure. on this program. I've, I have a theory in my mind that the next great revolution in jazz is going to be not a technical musical revolution. It's going to be a PR revolution. I hope so. It'd be good for me. Yeah, it'd be good for you. I think it'd be good for jazz too. Of course, yeah. And I think that in the short time I've been doing this this show, I've gone to a bunch of different networking events and mm -hmm. have talked talked to different different uh, people that do a lot of different things in jazz ranging from artists who before this that's all I really talked to was other artists yeah because as a bass player I'm trying to get sideman gigs totally you know but I've I went to this this uh, mark uh, it was a jazz industry day at Temple University oh cool and the most interesting person there was a PR person and the the things they were saying were things that were somewhat contrary to the way things were done yeah but they had data to back it up sure and then they got into a panel discussion and some of the older artists were just blasting them and it, it got a little tense um whatever yeah. but there's there's a lot of things that in in jazz and i'm sure in all other kind of artistic fields where the the old guard is like we did it this way and then the new guard is like but that doesn't make sense anymore but anyway, I wanted to kind of distill a couple things. So for I, most of my audience is musicians, younger, younger musicians trying to, trying to feel their way around, trying to figure out their paths. And so let's just go with a couple, I don't know, maybe def, definitions isn't the right word, but 
what exactly is PR? So PR or public relations mm -hmm. is it's the well there's a lot of things there's an umbrella but uh, PR in general is getting the word out and um, basically making the public aware of what's going on um, there's a lot of facets to that but it's pretty much dealing with the public promoting yourself to the public and uh, being the liaison between people who do interface with the public, i.e. media um, influencers now, you know, yeah. all this stuff, um, and being that person who's like the conduit of that information. So, I mean, truthfully, in, in what I do specifically, you know, I'm doing a lot more than a typical, like, a typical publicist, I, I would think, for, that's definition publicist just because it's such a you know the community is small mm -hmm. we all know each other there's so many other things often that need to be addressed than just PR when mm -hmm. I'm working with independent artists which I primarily am working with mostly independent artists there's a lot of different things that need to be dealt with and you know it, a lot of it goes outside the traditional duties of a publicist mm -hmm. and that's okay like I'm cool with that you know and that's fine but uh, it's a very varied job and um, Everyone kind of has different needs. But the general idea, though, is getting it out there to the public and getting it, you know, in front of the right people and promoting a project like that. So how, how would you see public, public relations versus marketing? Well, they're within the same family, I suppose. I mean, marketing, the act of marketing is different from the act of being a publicist in the sense that, let me rephrase. So if you're an independent artist, you are in charge mostly of your own marketing. Um, you don't have a label telling you what to wear, what, you know, a producer, maybe you have a producer, but you know, you don't necessarily have people telling you what to sound like. You know, you have a lot of abilities on your own to do what you want to do. Um, and it's up to you to make a lot of decisions about your image and about your look and your sound and about these things that all go into marketing. Um, as a publicist, you know, it's my job to kind of take those things and make it digestible for the media or for, you know, whoever it is we're trying to pitch to. So to say that, you know, marketing is, marketing is part of the equation, but um, it is different in the sense that, like, we are like the physical, like the people that are actually doing the the bidding of what mm -hmm. that marketing is, if that makes sense, which it I does. don't think it does much. It, <laughs> but it made sense to me when you said it. Yeah, like well, like it's it's just that marketing is part of it. It's like it's like the it's what we're selling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yes. Um, like how the market responds. I, yeah, and yeah. and it's it's kind of like. You know, there's a lot of other things that go into marketing. There's, you know, advertising and, you know, things that are not necessarily in, like, the wheelhouse of a publicist, but it's all just, like, part of the equation of what we're dealing with. Yes. So do you do you feel that... I, uh, I would kind of equate, like, what you do to what the musicians you represent do, um, trying to vary your skills to uh, appeal to a lot of things. Like, for me, it would, it would make no... It would not make a lot of sense for me in Philadelphia, in the Philadelphia scene, to like only play bebop. Sure. You know, so I have to diversify my skills. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting, interesting 
connection. I mean, it's just like we have clients mm-hmm. that we work with that can appeal to a variety of different mm-hmm. things. So, for example, somebody who, someone who is probably good to use as an example. So, Brandy Younger mm-hmm. is my client. You know, she's a harpist. She plays jazz. She plays classical. She mm-hmm. plays contemporary you know, R&B and pop. I mean, you can hear her with Robbie Coltrane. You can hear her with Moses Sumney. You know, you can hear her with um, a variety of different, in different settings. She plays an unusual instrument. You know, she plays the harp. That's not common in jazz. Not common in contemporary music in general. And, you know, you can look at someone like that and be like, okay, so how can we, like, how are we going to market someone like Brandy? You know, we're going to pitch her to jazz publications, obviously, because of her association with, um, with you know, those musicians, and also that she ca- carries on the lineage of Alice Coltrane and Dorothy Ashby. So, mm-hmm. great. We're going to pitch her to, you know, more contemporary uh, outlets or influencers because of her work with, you know, John Legend and Moses Sumney. Mm-hmm. Um, she's on Makai McCraven's new record. You know who's hot right now, so you know we're using you know that that's also an avenue. There's a whole range of ways that we can look at someone like Brandy and how are we going to get her in the public eye. So it's not just purely based on you know hey she can play the shit out of her instrument. There's also all these other parts of it that we yeah. can use, and I you know have no qualms about you know using non-musical um, entities to do that. Yeah. You know any non-traditional outlets we can pitch. Mm-hmm. Totally. You know I've had musicians in like you know the Jewish Weekly. I've had musicians in um, publications for African American hair. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. <laughs> whatever works, you know. Yeah. I had so. a great conversation <laughs> with, with Justin Faulkner about yeah. how he was in the film Bolden. Yeah, totally. And I was saying how I wish jazz musicians would be in movies more. Oh yeah, Catherine Russell, who's one of my clients, yeah. is in Bolden. Yeah. You know, and it's a great opportunity to get you know, film people mm-hmm. to be aware of her. Yeah, you know, absolutely. it's uh, whatever you look, we got to use what we have. Absolutely, so yeah. I, I am not a purist. Like I am just like, let's like look at the package. Like what can we, what are, mm-hmm. what's good here? Like what can we do? Yeah. You know, that's goes beyond like the jazz bubble. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's part of why I have, that's part of my, my theory about, about the future of jazz. Um, and I don't want to say it's revitalization because I still feel it's very, still very vitalized. Yeah. But I feel like there's a lot of things that we as a scene mm-hmm. can do to get uh, a buddy of mine. I gotta check this this film out. I mean, it was a show, but it was a, a, a anime from Japan about a, a young kid that wanted to be a bebop pianist, <laughs> awesome. and all the animation is like very accurate. That's amazing. Yeah, and uh, they looked up who was actually playing piano. It was a big name. I couldn't, I can't remember. That's incredible. But things like that, like yeah, like we should be doing that. We should. There should be more, like more, more things. But anyway, totally agree with you. What would you think would be a a, a great first step for a young artist who is not represented, maybe just out of school, maybe still in school? Mm-hmm that's just kind of figuring it out, maybe doing all of their, all of the PR and marketing and everything all themselves, what do you say would be a great first step for them? To veer off a little from your question, but to address mm-hmm. something that's important. Absolutely. That will lead to this. You know, I get inquiries all the time from musicians looking for PR, like constantly. Mm-hmm. And 
a lot of them are not yet at the point where they're ready for a publicist. Absolutely. You know, they think that the first, like, part of their first, uh, you know, step of making their professional career happen, you know, is onboard a booking agent, a manager, and publicist. Mm -hmm. Those are all, you know, three things that musicians need, you know, at a certain level, or mm -hmm. could be, you know, it could be beneficial to have. But when you are just out of school, or you're just starting out, or you're, you know, putting out your first record, those things are not... Uh, besides not being needed at that time are probably not going to happen just because mm -hmm. there's not enough managers, publicists, and booking agents to cover everyone, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so a lot of times people come to me and they're like, hey, I'm putting on my first record. I want to hire a publicist to do it. I like taking debut projects. I like it because it is a clean slate. And I like being able to, I like that artist development side of it. I mean, I genuinely really like working with musicians. Mm -hmm. um, so I will take some, especially if they're musicians I know personally, like know or killing. And like, I, maybe like this record is still un uncertain or maybe it's a little premature. You know, they haven't found their voice yet maybe, mm -hmm. but I know they will eventually. If I see potential, I'm on board for it. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes it's like, you're probably not ready. Mm -hmm. So what can that artist do to become ready eventually? Mm -hmm. Um, one thing that's really helpful for artists, one thing that's great for an artist to do is to be really consistent in their branding. Mm -hmm. And there's one musician who does a really good job of this, uh, Mike Casey. He's a saxophonist from Hartford, Connecticut. And I did a little bit of work with him on um, one of his records that he did a couple, maybe two years ago. You know, he's got a robust social media following. He has like a very consistent voice in all his social media posts. His music has a common thread. You know, he's involved in being a jazz musician, but he's also involved in other scenes and making, you know, producing and making beats and all of this. Mm -hmm. But he, the whole thing is a cohesive package. Mm -hmm. So something that I think it's helpful in the early stages is to kind of like figure out what, like who, like who are you? Like what differentiates you like saxophone A from saxophone B. Mm -hmm. You know, what is special about you? Um, and it takes a lot of time to find that, and that's not something that you can come up with, yep. you know, overnight. But um, one of the first things you can just really do is is pinpoint on what makes you special, what makes, what differentiates you, and be consistent in, in making that part of your story. And uh, in these days, you know, social media is everything, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it comes down to visual representation, you know, what kind of videos are you going to be putting out? You know, if you're going to be putting out audio clips and music, you know, like, make sure it sounds good. Like, make sure it's a good representation mm -hmm. of your work. You know, some people, you know, are, I'm not opposed to people, you know, practicing their licks and doing, you know, transcribing and putting mm -hmm. videos, like, knock yourself out. But if you're trying to build a consistent brand and you want yourself to look and sound great all the time, or most of the time that you're in the public eye, yeah. it's important to probably just be like mindful of that. Yeah. So just keeping, um, I would say keeping your eye on the ball of like what, you know, w what it is like you're trying, like what's part of your package mm -hmm. is important. Um, and that's better, you know, easy, much easier said than done. But uh, that's part of the early stages of like, if you have that in mind when you start out, I think that those musicians are more inclined to yeah. do well mm -hmm. um, from a PR perspective, whatever yeah. that means, later on. Yeah, I, I see that a, a lot in, um, in I, I, I see it starting to take hold a little bit in younger players that are coming up. Whereas when, I feel like when I was in college, 
pre-college, everyone was just focused on sounding amazing. Yeah. And knowing all the tunes and all that stuff. I, I, I see it a lot more now where people are, are, are thinking about that. Yeah. Younger, which is um, good good for everything. Good for the good for jazz, good for them. It's an important part mm-hmm. of it and like the music is always first. I mean mm-hmm. to me the music is first, the music is king. It's all about the music. I mean, in everything. Mm-hmm. It's in for me. You know, in that way, like, I'm pretty straight ahead. Mm-hmm. The music is where it's at. But there are still things, there are still things, though, that need to be thought about mm-hmm. and um, that need to be considered, you know, in addition to the music. It can't mm-hmm. just only be about Absolutely. sounding killing. Yeah. I mean, that's very important. Yeah. You should. That's the prerequisite. That's yeah. where it starts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. But there is more to it, yeah. you know, than. You know, than just like you know, mm-hmm. sounding great. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I mentioned just, just before. A li- sounds kind of weird to say, but the younger musicians <laughs> makes me feel a little. The little children. Old. But it, it actually is kind of cool to, to see see crops of of younger players come up and do really great things. Like yeah. I remember, uh, I remember playing playing a gig with Emmanuel Wilkins when yeah. he was like 12. Totally. You know, and, yeah. like, and seeing him today is yeah, like amazing. But um, I'd like to ask you, this is a question I ask a lot of, a lot of my guests. Yeah. Um, what is, what, do you, what are, is something or some things that you admire most about the younger generation of players? I think that a lot of the younger folks coming up have really open ears mm-hmm. and I like that there is a kind of a potpourri of genre and musical elements mm-hmm. in what I'm hearing now. I just think that that's really important yeah. and I think that in order for, you know, in order for jazz to stay relevant and to to not die (laughs) you know it has to it has to be allowed to evolve Mm -hmm. and it has to be allowed to change which it always has Mm -hmm. you know this is the thing that always kills me when Mm -hmm. you know there are certain musicians and purists that are like oh this oh this Robert Glasper he's ruining this music (laughs) it's like you know like sorry but this is again so cliche but it's like that's exactly what they said about miles in uh, the 70s like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, this is a pattern it repeats itself like why are we still talking like why how is this not played out yeah you know it's um so that's something that i think is great about the generation you know, my generation and below is that i just feel that that's becoming that that mindset is kind of starting to really mm-hmm. vanish and i think it needs to be like we need to stop yeah absolutely. you know like let the music grow let it evolve you know let it happen there's nothing wrong with it mm-hmm. and uh, I think that that's really the only way to keep this music relevant is by expanding its audience absolutely and I think the flip side to that coin is another question I ask a lot a lot of people um, is what what is something that has an established way of, of doing it that needs disruption? Well, the thing about, okay, 
so PR in general is an evolving thing. Um, you have to be attuned to certain trends. You have to be aware of what people are paying attention to and to be able to change and evolve with that. I still send out like a hundred physical copies of CDs. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much longer will I be doing that? You know, I, if I wasn't in jazz, probably would not be doing it. But in jazz, a lot of the media and critics skew a bit older and mm-hmm. still, you know, rely on CDs. Yep. So this is something that is a debate um, often in the jazz circle of radio people, especially mm-hmm. it's kind of this, vibe of you know physical versus digital Mm -hmm. is this if someone releases something on digital is it as viable as someone who puts something out as a cd and you know now it's like the lps and Mm -hmm. you know there's like this constant debate going on i think that radio hosts really gotta get with the program i come from radio like Mm -hmm. i love radio it's like my original love but i do think that Mm -hmm. in it general generally we need to onboard the idea of digital being okay Mm -hmm. And uh, this is something that Jazz is constantly dealing with. They're constantly fighting about it. In the radio groups that I'm part of, this is a constant debate. I've even had a critic say once, like, unless it's not, if it's not, um, if the record is not available on a CD, then I don't think that it is worth my time Mm -hmm. and attention. And this is like a well-respected jazz critic who's like written, you know, millions of reviews. And you're just like, oh my God. Yeah. So I think that that um, idea in jazz specifically really has to, Mm -hmm. like people got to get with the program. Absolutely. You know, and like get with the times and understand that the digital world is where it's at. Yeah. So, and I love CDs. CDs are great, but you know, come on. (laughs) Yeah. I I know exactly what you're talking about. I had a a very similar experience when I put out uh, my first EP. Yeah. And... I, ha- I came at it from the, this uh, from environmental perspective because that's mostly what my music's about. Sure. And I just I didn't want to have to print a hundred CDs yeah. just to get one to the the radio station. Yep. And then and then I found a a, a place that would print one CD, but it was wow. it was all. Um, there's only one option. It was the plastic jewel case with mm-hmm. the pr- plastic wrap. And I was like, that negates oh, man. Yeah. So I, I totally, I totally dig, dig that. It's a big problem. I mean, there are some, some, um, some labels are combating this in a, in a really interesting way. Like uh, Biophilia Records has yeah. this amazing eco-friendly digi pack thing where you are sent this, you know, beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, package that opens up it's like an origami piece of art you know it's gorgeous um but the music is digital you know so you're still getting like the liner notes and the art and you're still getting that which is so so important and like that is the shit that we like that we love you know jazz heads are all about that you know yes so you get that but you're not then you know wasting the yeah the the plastic that is is a really really beautiful i i uh highly recommend not only is all the music super high level yeah but that element of it is yeah is really great cool. it's got it together yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what yeah, what is a trend in jazz that you think we'll see more of in the next five to ten years hmm. that might be bubbling below the surface hmm. good question good question so i mentioned this a little earlier but mm-hmm. 
Makaya McRaven's record mm-hmm. is really good. Mm-hmm. Universal Beings. I really, from a just pure musical enjoyment standpoint, mm-hmm. dig the shit out of that record. And I think the way he did it is so... It's pretty cool. I mean, it's not incredibly innovative, per se. You know, cutting up, uh, you know, performances and treating it kind of like a, you know, a DJ set. Like, there's nothing revolutionary about that. Mm-hmm. But the execution is just so good. And the mm-hmm. product is excellent. The end yeah. product. And I feel like... I, I feel like we... That's been going on for a while, but I feel like we're going to see more of it um, in a more mainstream way. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that he's gotten such a great response from that. Mm-hmm. But that is really, I think, uh, something that we're going to see more of. And in general, though, I think that this... Like I said earlier, this melding of genres... I mean, this is something that has been happening. I just think that it's now... Like, now the jazz press is starting to catch on to it and, like, mm-hmm. not hate it you know (laughs) so it's been there like this has been happening for a long time but I think that now like maybe finally we're going to be starting to get some ears on it that are not like disdainful of it immediately Mm -hmm. um one artist I work with that I just am obsessed with and I talk about her all the time is uh, Emma Frank Mm -hmm. she's a a vocalist who's based here in Brooklyn and her music is like a mix of you know Aaron Parks is on is on Mm -hmm. her recordings with her the new records coming out like next week on a Just In Time record, it's called Come Back. And um, turn Aaron Parks and a bunch of other fabulous musicians. And her music is like a cross between like Joni Mitchell and Cat Power with like Aaron's harmonic, you know, mm-hmm. language. And it is just, to me, it is like 1000% my shit. Like yeah. I love this stuff. <laughs> I love this. Like I love Joni Mitchell. I love like Tori Amos, Cat Power. I love this stuff. I live for it. So to hear it then in this kind of like, you know, I want to say jazzed up setting but this kind of sophisticated setting with Aaron mm-hmm. you know playing you're just like oh my god like it's to me it's so so spectacular her lyrics are great and the songs are great and I just think that's so cool and mm-hmm. it's not jazz at all I mean it's definitely not jazz like it is I wouldn't mar- I don't market it as jazz it's kind of like avant-garde folk you know yeah. but that is that's great I'm into it mm-hmm. and I, I I hope that that music like that can be brought to the surface and people will appreciate it and love it instead of being like I don't know if it's jazz I don't know Uh it's like so what (laughs) it's great so I am I really I really dig that a lot and I hope we see more of it I hope she becomes famous so So you are the president CEO of Lydia Liebman Productions? I suppose. Promotions, yeah. Promotions, I'm sorry. It's okay, everyone, of everyone, because, yeah, it's always. Uh, um, so what would, what would you call your title? I mean, technically, the president, president. I guess, and founder, I suppose. Founder, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like how that sounds. Um, <laughs> could you describe a little bit about, about building your own enterprise and... I guess we touched a little bit about how, how it came to the business end of things. But I don't think we really talked about how you started this. Can you talk, just talk about maybe a little bit about what it is and then how it started? Sure. So I, uh, I started this business in my dorm room, making yeah. flyers for students. Yep. Um, 
it originally was something that I just kind of did for fun. And I did it in conjunction with the radio program I had because it just seemed like something I could be helpful and do. And my first, you know, client I say was the saxophonist named Mario Castro, who's a really good friend, friend of mine who's in my wedding. You know, we're, you know, we're like family, you know. And um, Mario was releasing a record on Greg Osby's Inner Circle music label. And it was a great record. Featured a bunch of friends, you know, it was amazing. And uh, I, he was kind of my guinea pig, you know. I, he was like, I would try stuff with him, like, hey, let me send this to a radio station. Like, let me, let me send this to a thing, or let me try to, you know, I don't know, do something with this. I had no idea what I was doing. He had no idea. We, no one had any idea. We were just like, let's just see what happens. And I remember like finding addresses online, like looking up like jazz reviewers, and you know, I had like a list of like fifteen. That was my first list. And uh, I sent it out, you know, of course, I got, like, no response because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But um, I kind of started uh, basically doing this for friends and doing it as a, just a courtesy, but also it seemed like just what made sense to do. I mean, I went to college for producing for film, television, radio. I was not, I did not go for PR, I did not go for marketing, I didn't do any of that, you know. I mean, I learned about it, but it wasn't, like, what I... That wasn't my goal, you know, upon moving to Boston. So I started doing this for Mario, and I was doing uh, flyers for kids and other students, and and then eventually Berkeley College of Music's uh, Berkeley Global Jazz Institute, which was is led by Daniela Perez and uh, managing director Marco Pinataro. You know, I got a little bit of reputation for just like doing these flyers, and I was pretty earnest about it. You know, going to you know had like a ten mile loop in Boston that I would start you know in the south end and walk and put the flyers up and mm-hmm. do the campuses of Harvard and Berkeley. Like I had a, a, a thing, a system, and Marco saw that and was like, "Hey, like want to promote some concerts like the you know Berkeley Global kids are doing?" I was like, "Sure." So that was like my first real client, which is insane when I think about that they trusted me with this. And I was so not ready for it. And I made, it was fine. I made a lot of mistakes uh, for sure, but um, it's all learning, you know? How else are you gonna learn? I learned on the job. So once I got Berkeley, I started to get like some Berkeley professors that were like hitting me up to do this. And it basically just like snowballed into a thing. I didn't expect it to become my, how I'm making a living at all. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to go into radio and like be on WBGO. You know, that was what I wanted to do. But uh, this kind of just took off. And I moved to New York about five years ago. And when I moved to New York, I said, let me give it a year. Like, let me see what happens. Mm-hmm. I applied for jobs, you know, at like, you know, like as you do when you graduate college because you feel like you have to. And so I did. And I wasn't really like thrilled with anything. I was just was like, I don't know. Like, this is not for me. Like, being in an office nine to five is like not for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I was working at this newspaper here in New York. It's an education journal. I still, I still work for them um, kind of on a, you know, as needed basis just because I love the publisher. She's like become family. But she kind of like floated me. You know, I, so I had this like writing gig. You know, I had some things that like floated me and I had some clients. Um, but it eventually just got to the point where like before I knew it, like I was like getting calls and I was like, oh my God, this mm-hmm. is like happening. Yeah. And uh, it took about a year, you know, maybe two. And then it was really um, Megan, St- uh, Megan Stabile of Revive Music hit me up and she was like, hey, I am, um, you know, I have like this tour. Can you help me with it? And I was like, sure. <laughs> and at the time, you know, I really looked up to someone like Megan. I still look up to her. You know, she was someone who really trailblazed a, a lot at a young age. You know, she's like 10 years older than me. And um, I was like, this is cool. I felt like honored that she was asking me to do this. 
and that put me in certain circles and then once that started that was that yeah and then it just took off and so it wasn't like I intended to do this I just intended to just do something in this music and mm -hmm. I've kind of come to the realization fairly recently that you know whether it's PR or radio or whatever it is like I mean I'm this is like what I'll be doing you know I'll be doing something in jazz pretty much unless some major life event happens yeah, yeah, yeah. so whatever wherever I am needed and and wherever I can be the most beneficial to the music is like where I will be and yeah. right now that's doing this Absolutely. I hope it's a while but yeah. there could be something else that comes that's like hey like you know this is something like like to push this music forward you're needed here and I'll be like cool yeah. Like I just—it's hard to explain. I don't know. I just—I feel like it's just kind of like a, a thing, you know. Absolutely, that's—that's <laughs> that's exactly how I feel about about doing the podcast. Like I never had any idea about it at yeah. all, and it's—it's it's just fun, and it's a, a way I can give back to the scene that's been giving me so much. Totally. And um, so I first found out about um, you and your work through Instagram yeah and cool. I have just through me searching around for random stuff when I yeah. uh, got Instagram uh, not too long ago or Yay. when I got a phone that could actually handle <laughs> handle Instagram yeah so um, and I've I found out about so many great artists that I, um, and ones I knew about but I didn't know were putting out records like uh, uh, Desron Douglas's yeah. uh, Black Lion album. Yes. I had no idea he was putting out an album. Yeah, Des like, is one of my clients. Yeah, and I've I've known his side side work for a while, but you know, I saw that. I was like, oh, I check that out. Yeah. So, um, I'm in tune uh, uh, to your work that way. Cool. Um, so, other than that, what are some other ways people can can check out? check out what you're what you're working on you know Instagram is a powerful tool and I try to stay on it as much as possible I try to promote you know the work we're doing and promote the artists we're working with um, Facebook also I'm on top of it you know every review we get we post and like it's not so much about like how many people are really like reading it and how many people are really like engaging constantly it's just about being staying on top of it and staying current and mm -hmm. showing that you're active. Mm -hmm. So Facebook and Instagram and then I post everything like our website like LydiaLeamPromotions.com I update that daily like all the press releases go up all the reviews the minute that they come out are posted there like I keep it really current and I've been told by clients and colleagues like I've been told that that is a big selling point of why a lot of people choose to work with us mm -hmm. because we're on top of that and I have to say not a whole lot of other PR people in jazz are as on top of it, mm -hmm. you know, there just aren't, for whatever reason. But we try to stay on top of it and stay posting every day um, and keeping it fresh and keeping it current and so it doesn't look stagnant and so it doesn't look, you know, like, uh, you know, old. Like, it look, yeah, it doesn't look like an old uh, MySpace page or <laughs> GeoCities. I do think it would be beneficial as a whole, like mm -hmm. in general, if industry people could get on board with this stuff, like get on board with, with being active on Instagram, you know, making your website look like it's, you know, not created in 1995, mm -hmm. you know, it's like get it together because this is stuff people are looking at. Yeah. 
and uh, that's what people see. That's the first time, like you just said, like the yeah. first time you saw us on Instagram. Like yep. you're not the only one. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are some uh, some next steps? Next steps for you. Neve White, who was here for a couple years, um, moved to London. So she is kind of shoring up our London presence. Um, we've been working with the UK for a while on, you know, with media opportunities, mm -hmm. but it's nice to have someone on the ground there. Yeah. Um, going out there to see her in October to kind of, you know, put some faces to names kind of deal. Um, so that's a new thing and that's great. And, you know, in general, I mean, we are just trying to expand our, <laughs> we're just trying to expand the audience for jazz. So we are getting a lot of new clients all the time. I mean, just recently, you know, Oren Evans just signed with us, which is awesome. Wallace Roney is working with us. Um, Brian Lynch has a new record coming out. You know, it's like every week there's more stuff. And uh, we're just trying to get that to as many ears as possible. So there's some great projects coming out next year. Um, I can say it like the Keisha Benjamin is signed with us and she has a really amazing project coming out in the spring, which I cannot wait for people to hear. Mm -hmm and it's just awesome it's just like an embarrassment of riches with how much phenomenal music there is i mean there's so much mm -hmm. it's just i can't even like I, I can't keep up i'm just like oh my god this is insane this is my life like whoa killing <laughs> very killing well lydia thanks for hanging out with me i hope this was I helpful this and like was informative and not so boring because pr like this stuff is kind of boring it is. <laughs> i mean it's not like the most like in, it's a little like it, the nuts and bolts of what I do every day is really boring. I mean, yeah. I basically send, I'm sending emails like mm -hmm. the whole day. You know, I get to listen to great music and go to great concerts, but it's not the most. <laughs> yeah, I, I you mean, know, that can be said for musicians too. It's like I'm <laughs> sitting at home practicing Shedding, my skills and I'm play this tune again <laughs> in all the keys again. I guess still can't so. do it. Okay. I guess I I, I so. go. I think um I guess just like one thing I would I would say you know like. Um, having a like in general you know having a, a publicist when you're ready for it is mm -hmm. is something that you know like artists should do that yeah. whether it's me or whoever yeah. having someone advocate for you and having somebody working on your behalf to get your music out there is is really 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 important yeah. because if you don't have that part of the puzzle then what is the point mm -hmm. and you could be the best you know self-marketer the, the most um engaging social media personality. I mean, you can do it to a certain degree yourself, of course, but it also does really help to have mm -hmm. someone working with you um, and presenting it like the way it needs to be presented to the people that it needs to be presented to. And that is something that, you know, PR is important. And in some cases, it's more instrumental than a manager. And a booking agent's important, but you know, you can book gigs yourself, but then it's like, who is going to get people there? Yeah. You know, so I just think that um, even if you're a DIY kind of musician who's like, I can do this all myself and I want to do it myself and, you know, I don't want to have, you know, any of this, you know, I don't want to work with, you know, the old guard or like the old school, like I want to do it, you know, my own, my own way. I'm all for it, but PR is helpful. Absolutely. <laughs> PR is good. This was very informative. Um, I, I'm 100% positive my, the vast majority of my listening base will, will be into this too. I hope so. um, and thank you again. I really thank appreciate you. It. Thank you so much.
Thanks for listening to the Voice Equals Power podcast. For me, this series is a labor of love. My goal is to help document the making of jazz history in this moment. If you have any suggestions about who you would like to hear on this show, drop me a line. Thanks for tuning in. I hope to hear from you soon.